Well, good morning. Glad to have you all here. Um, yeah, keeping, keeping track of what's going on with uh, Seth and Greg from Redeemer and, and Nathan from Boulevard, um, it, it's not shocking at all that there's been trouble, problems, headaches, and that sort of thing. Um, the, the work that's being done in, or has been done in Senegal is um, something that we, we are looking as an uh, elder team and church to join with other churches in this effort. And I think, frankly, because of it, it seems that every time there is a trip, everyone I've been on, there's always been some sort of a hiccup. There is opposition to us going there to proclaim the gospel. Um, and it's a, it's a given, actually, I think. And it's a, a place where uh, culturally these people are brought up in Islam and it's all they know and their whole world revolves around that and that only. So the, the individual that would accept Jesus Christ in that culture is potentially giving up all things. Think about it. Everything. Your family, your home, your livelihood. All those things gone because you believe in Jesus Christ. It's a huge thing for them to do so. And so to bring the gospel into that environment, into that world, um, there, is a, 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 there is a war at work against it. So the delays and all that are not surprising. I've been on that end of that where it's frustrating. Uh, to say the least. But we need to pray that the Lord will do the work that he has in mind for that village and, or for the villages that they're going and also for the partnerships that um, potentially could take place and the work that that would, it, the work would be able to increase even the more there. So keep praying for that. So um, we also had some hiccups regarding, I, can't, I think, uh, yeah, we got some of the stuff up there. Um, I, got, I got confused as to uh, who I'm supposed to send what to and this and that. And so that I guess there was... So if we get everything on the screen, fantastic. If we don't, hang in there with me. So the title of the sermon today is Deliverance by Grace. And it's about Noah and the Flood. So in the Alpha Omega series, the series that uh, Seth has uh, outlined for uh, the, the rest of, well, probably this year and maybe another year to come, who knows. Um, we're working through major, uh, the major threads of the Bible from literally the beginning to the end. If, if uh, we know anything about what, uh, what the Bible says, in First in Peter it says, first chapter 1, verse 3, it does say, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, who called us to his own glory and excellence. So as, as has been said, this book doesn't give us everything, every answer that you might desire. I mean, for instance, we're not going to solve a complex math problem and find the answers here. Now, there's some that might think you could do that, but that's not going to be the case. But we are given all that we need, just as Peter says... We're given everything we need for knowledge of him, 
and knowledge of the things that he's called us to and the knowledge of the things that are to come. So today we're going to go over some of the same passages that we heard from, uh, heard, uh, from Seth last week, actually, um, but we'll have a little different focus, if you will, be my hope. So the history of the world has already been planned out from start to finish. It's already, already planned out. We're just pieces of the puzzle, if you will. The, the uh, current life and past have, have already been determined. And this is done by God's omniscient nature. He knows what the future is to be. And with his eternal design in mind, he sets about establishing that future through our present and the past. It's interesting, we're uh, in equip class going through church history, and uh, in, in a lot of respects, some of that is quite dry. But it is fascinating to see how God has worked throughout history. Man will uh, start off good, and then suddenly they're over here somewhere, and then they're back over this way, and then somebody drags them back into line with the scripture, if you will. So we're currently in the Reformation period of church history in that class, and um, there's these characters that are brought into play, and then, then they die off, or they're martyred, or these things happen, and then this next character is introduced, and so on and so on. And it's, it's a lot like if uh, we were to decide we wanted to uh, build a highway, let's say, from Nixa up to the 44, going right through the middle of town. Now, I, I think that would be a fantastic idea, frankly. Um, I have to drive from the southwest corner of town to the northeast corner of town for work daily, and it's a mess. It's always a pain. And if there was a road that just connected a freeway that had on-ramps and off-ramps and off-ramps and no traffic lights, it'd be great. But we need to know the des destination first and foremost, right? God already knows the destination. And this pattern that we see of man drifting and coming back it can be seen throughout the Bible, throughout history, throughout your life, throughout my life, and all the while, God is keeping his church. His purposes are established even in the errors of man. Um, God's intention is that the bride of Christ will one day stand before the groom. And God's eternal plan will come to pass. He will deliver the bride to his son and together, we will all live in a new Eden, a new Jerusalem. So last week in the Alpha Omega series, Pastor Seth introduced us to Noah, the covenant that had been made with Adam and Noah, and the plan that God had for Noah, for the ark, for the flood, and for the destruction of the world. But God also had a plan for salvation. He had a plan for deliverance of a single family, and the preservation of the promised seed that was to come. 
that past, that history is all a part of God's design to establish his future. This is his story. Today I'd like us to take a look at this man, Noah, the flood, God's fearsome and just judgment and his deliverance by grace. So if you would, please, um, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. And we're going to have to, I'm not going to go through the entire narrative of the flood. I think we're probably familiar, most of us. Um, But that's where we'll start. Genesis 6, verse 5. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil, continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, and I'm so, for I am sorry that I had made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. Our Father God, Lord, we thank you that this is your plan and not ours. God, the... uh, the scripture today is, um, brings about imagery and brings about uh, just a knowledge of your power, your wrath, your judgment, but then also your mercy, your grace, and your kindness. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us today, that we would see your word for what it is and what it means and that we can, have re- we can rest and have an insurance that you are going to accomplish what it is that you have deemed is to happen. Father, we ask that you be glorified in what we do, what we say, and I pray this in Jesus' name. So as in the days of Noah, so also today, man's sin requires God's just judgment. So let's get a little bit of background here, if we might. Noah, at this time in this writing, was 500 years old, give or take. He, he was the 10th generation of mankind. Because of the length of life, Noah's father, Lamech, had spent 56 years alive at the same time that Adam was still alive which is crazy. (laughs) But um, then Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, we know him to be the oldest man ever lived in the Bible, right? Um, He lived at the same time, I don't know if they were next-door neighbors or not, but he lived for 243 years with Adam. At 969 years old, Methuselah died. 
It's very interesting to note his father, Enoch, is the only other human being that ever transfigured. He was taken up by the Lord. He was a man that walked with God. He named his son Methuselah, and that means when he dies, judgment. And in accordance with his name, the flood came the year of his death. He spent 230, uh, 243, what is it? Yeah, 243 years. If I can get my iPad to work. There it is. With Adam. All the generations before Noah had spent years with the father of mankind, learning the beauty of the garden, the cost of sin, and the hope of the seed of the woman that was to come. Noah came from a long and old line of men who walked with the Lord. In terms of God and his plan, it is interesting to note that some 1,000 years before the flood, a child was born that died the year of the flood, whose name meant, when he dies, destruction. God has had a plan from the beginning to the end. And so as we read Scripture here, if we think about the statement made by the Creator God in this Scripture, it's um, a little devastating, to say the least. Because of man's wickedness, God was bringing the full weight of his wrath to bear on his whole creation. Now, I don't think, honestly, that we really like to think about God in these terms. That kind of a judgment, especially in our culture today, would probably say that this is somewhat of an overreaction. But, what is God's reaction to sin? Just judgment. He cannot be around sin. We know that at the cross. We, we see that. <clears throat> so, the flood happened. Now, there's all sorts of people that would like to argue about that, whether it happened or it didn't happen, but there is evidence on six out of the seven continents that states, yes, it did happen. Go to Grand Canyon and just stand on the edge of Grand Canyon and take a look. Now, they say that those sediment layers that are stacked upon one another, as you look at it, they say that those happened over billions and billions of years. But the problem with that is that they're stacked in a perfectly straight line. And there's, you can see exactly where the next one lays upon the, the next one. If that one layer developed over even a thousand years, would there not be erosion? Somewhere in that, you, that line could not be flat and straight. There would be spots where they're cut away. That's evidence of it. Also, on every one of the continents except one, there's these fossil graveyards that are everywhere. 
and the fossil graveyards are full of every kind of a bone you can imagine. Fish, uh, small animals, large animals, even dinosaurs in some. Wyoming is a place where is there, you have one of these giant fossil graveyards. Wyoming. It's in the middle of nowhere, no ocean around that place. But the other thing that's interesting about it is that for the most part, give or take a little bit, the elevation of every one of these, every one of these uh, fossil graveyards, the elevation around the world, they're roughly around the same elevation worldwide. How did that happen? It only can be explained by a worldwide flood. So the judgment of God, as drastic and as horrible as this may seem, happened. God is abhorred by sin. But <coughs> there's more. Here in Genesis 6, we see the crisis of the worst kind. The worst part of this crisis is that this creation that God himself put the breath of life into is destroyed because of a, an offense so great to this holy creator. But it's interesting. It says that the Lord was grieved to his heart. So we see that this isn't something God necessarily wanted to have happen. A lot of times people say, well, why did he even create man if this was his intent? And those are questions I get. I, I get asked questions that I don't understand, and I usually just say that's God's stuff. I, I don't, I'm not really sure, right? But <clears throat> the mo- one of the more shocking things about that scripture is that um, God has a deep, deeply personal relationship and desires that to have that kind of a relationship with his creation. I mean, in human terms, we can think of him being uh, cut to the heart because of what's to take place. And I get this picture of just tears running down the cheeks of the creator. I don't know. But that, that's what I have in my, my mind as I think about that, that there's a loss there that he senses. There's anguish and there's pain. What could be so significant to invoke such a response from God? The condition of men in verse 5 reveals a personal betrayal of relational love. We are made in his image, set apart from the other creatures that he made. There's something about man that makes him absolutely unique. The image of God is placed in us. There's careful design that is done. King David says later, centuries later, in Psalm 139, I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God sets his image in us. He also sets his love on us, and he calls us in that love to walk with him. Trust him and obey him. To be Our first love. As a matter of fact, the greatest of all commandments 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And that's in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. So every time we sin, we're rejecting that deep, intimate love. When we violate his law and his will, which is designed to give us life, evil thrives. And when there is no sorrow, no repentance, then evil becomes the intention of the heart continually in ways that Genesis 6, 5 describes. But from this section of Scripture, we see several things. We see, that we see the wrath of God, and we see his mercy. In verse 7, it says, I will blot out man. That's harsh. <laughs> but in verse 8, he said, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And favor here would mean undeserved grace or unmerited grace. In our scripture today, we see the nature of man, we see the nature of God, and we see God's mercy and man's depravity. The nature of man in verse 5, his heart was only evil. God's personal connection to his creation in verse 6, he grieved him to his heart. It's the absolute betrayal of man to his creator in verse 5 creates evil continually. Severe betrayal brought severe judgment. So we continue reading in Genesis 6, verses 11 through 14. That's not six. Now the earth was, this is kind of a repeat. Does that often in the Bible? The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh from the earth. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then this sudden like shift. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Okay. It's interesting. We see God's judgment again. But we also see his warning and his instruction to those that he will deliver. God reveals to Noah what he will do and why. But don't miss the fact that he gives Noah a method of deliverance. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So as in the days of Noah, so it is today. Man's hope is given by God's deliverance. Jesus tells us in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is our deliverance. There is judgment coming again. God's judgment is severe. But we must say also that God's mercies are equally extreme. In Genesis 7, verses 21, we'll read through 
chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, this is, uh, as the flood is finishing its effects, 721, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man, animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him on the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. God keeps his promises. Even promises that are dreadful. Now, Seth last week mentioned, uh, uh, if you get on YouTube, you can see the videos of a tsunami. And some of those in Indonesia several years back, horrendous. To, to see the ocean rise and then everything in its wake is gone. It's amazing to me that there is somebody there filming this as it's coming in. They're in a building. I guess they think that building is going to make it. I don't know. Because uh, buildings all around there aren't making it. They're all just collapsing along with cars and people and trees and everything else. It's a horrendous sight. But chapter 8, verse 1, some of my favorite words in the Bible, but God. Remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So as in the days of Noah... So also today, we need to revere God and trust in his word. In Hebrews 11, we can't talk about Noah without going to Hebrews. He's a man of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving uh, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah built an ark on dry ground, and estimates are, give or take, he started it, he's around 500 years old, they say, or the book says. And based on his children and their ages and this and that, they come to a best guess somewhere between 45 to 75 years to get this boat built. <clears throat> Just like in the days of Noah, there is a judgment that is coming. We have been told there's a judgment coming, and like Noah, God, through his word, has identified the judgment and the means by which we have for deliverance from the coming judgment. And so the disciples, as they were 
with Jesus, they, had, they said, when are these things going to happen? We hear of these things, and when is all this going to take place? And in Matthew 24, uh, verse 37 through 39, uh, and prior, actually, he says that we don't know the day or the hour. Not even the angels know. But he does say, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the, the, son, the coming of the Son of Man. <coughs> Pardon me. I, I've talked to gosh, a lot of people about um, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I obviously need to talk to a lot more. But one of the things that uh, I, I don't know, I don't know if I like to bring it up, but is the coming judgment. Again, just like I said before, when we think about this horrendous flood that came and destroyed the earth, and if you happen to take a look at the picture um, that, that the painter that Seth was talking about, um, the pictures that this guy painted, uh, Dior, was it Gustav? Dior, I think. Um, they're graphic. Um, and of course, because he was an artist, there's typically nudity in it. But um, it depicts a man holding his wife. The waves are crashing around this little bit of rock sitting out of the sea. And he's pushing up one more child onto the top of this rock, absolute desperation on his face, and up on top of the rock, along with these other three children, is a tiger with its two cubs and another cub in its mouth. And, and Seth made the good point, I wonder what happens when the tiger gets hungry. Dreadful. Dreadful. To consider these things. We don't like to think of them. And so in talking with people about Jesus Christ, it's one of the areas in which I try to, you know, I, I don't want to be the guy on the street corner, you're going to burn in hell, you know, do something, you're going to burn in hell, waving their Bible. Um, I've been called a weird Christian at work because I, I guess I don't maybe do that as much. And I wonder if maybe I should do that more because there is judgment coming. It's real. God said it. He accomplished it. And there is, an, there is an end that is coming. But, but God, as in the days of Noah, so also today we need to rejoice in God's mercy. Because he is also, a judgment comes, but also there is a means for deliverance available. After the flood water subsided, Noah was told by God to come out of the ark with his family and all the animals that were with him on the ark. And in Genesis chapter 8, verses 9 through 22, it says this, Then Noah built an altar to 
the Lord and took some of the, every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the uh, pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man, man's heart, is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the Lord remains, I mean, while the earth remains, I'm sorry, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So in other words, until the day of the coming judgment, everything is going to basically remain the same, and we will not, at least will not, suffer destruction by a earth, a flood over the earth. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> I don't want to be there when something like that happens. <clears throat> so if, if you would, in considering this rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in his mercy, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And, um, well, where is that? I didn't mark it. All right. Um, verse 3 begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing or the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. We have an immense amount in which to rejoice over. We have an eternity with the Lord set aside. If you are his, if you belong to Christ, then this is for you. This is your promise. As in the days of Noah, so also today, recall what the Lord has done. So I'd like for you to take a moment and think about this man, Noah, 
the task he was given to build the ark. And it taking literally decades to build. So do you suppose he woke every day excited about the prospect of, that, that lay out in front of him? The progress that he was making in doing it? That he eagerly went out the next day to cut down yet another cypress or gopher wood tree or haul another bucket of pitch? I mean, I've not been there in Kentucky, but I mean, have you seen the pictures? If you haven't been there, that's a big boat. It's a man and his three sons. I used to, be a, I used to do construction as a business, and I look at that and think, holy cow. Because they don't, you know, they don't go down the lows to get the lumber. They go out and cut it down. So I don't suppose that, that he thought the entire 45 to 75 years in the building of this thing, I, do, you, do you ever think it came to him that, what am I doing? Do you think there was doubt? So I'm not suggesting that the tasks that are in front of me or the tasks that are in front of you are necessarily like that. But can you recall a time or a circumstance in which you were struggling, you were angry, you're frustrated, uncertain about the outcome of events to come? Noah was by no means a perfect man. I'm not a perfect man. But when we could think of the tasks that are in front of us, we need to consider the author of all historical and future events is in control. He's running the show. As a matter of fact, Noah, God knew Noah, called him a righteous man. But in Noah's case, a little later here in the book, he's the first case of blackout drunk recorded. Right? God knows Noah. He knows me. He knows you. And yet he's called us to be a part of his plan. And we got work to do, right? He provided a means for Noah and his family, and he provides a means for us. God loved Noah because he says, I remembered Noah, right? He remembers you. God loves you. He knows you. He knows our sin. And that's why he's provided a way that we can be rescued and delivered from the coming storm or even the storm tomorrow in your life. And that is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is our deliverance from sin, sorrow, and suffering. So, in Romans chapter 8, 
verses 1, uh, yeah, 1 through 11. There's some promises that if you are his, you can take home. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in, Jesus, or in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness required of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are on the flesh cannot please God. You, however, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. We have been given a pathway, a highway, has on-ramps and off-ramps. You know, people veer off and veer back on. But we need to remember to recall what it is that the Lord has done. What has the Lord done in your life? We just talked about this in equip class. The events of, of, of your life that in retrospect you can look back and realize that those horrendous events that took place had purpose. They allowed you to move forward in your walk or they allowed you to connect with people that have, are going through the same thing. There isn't anything in the course of history that is going to change what God has intended to happen. We are all, those that know Jesus Christ, are all in the same boat, if you will. And we're destined to his destination. Recall what the Lord has done. Rejoice in his mercy. Revere God and trust his word. Our hope is given by God's deliverance in Jesus Christ, by his grace. Let's pray.